Welcome to Talking Kotlin. In this episode, I'm sitting down with Artur Triumov, who is going to speak to us a little bit about their code base and the use of spec and many other things that they've been using. Hi, Artur, and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Uh, you are now one of the active contributors to the spec framework, right? Uh, well, it depends on how active <laughs> contributors should be because I try to participate in discussions and all that, but unfortunately in these times we kind of shrank our team and we have a lot of things on our heads, so I'm not quite uh, contributing as much as I would want to. Well, yeah, I mean, no one's actually defining what active means at this point. I think we can all just um, be very... Uh um, subjective about active, right? So yep. at least I think you're a little bit more active than I am lately. But anyway, so um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, where you work, and uh, what you've been doing with Kotlin. Okay, so uh, I'm working at Juna. It's uh, a company. Uh, it's a ride-sharing company. Uh, you can compare. You can compare it to Uber or Lyft. We are operating in New York City at this point. And we started uh, using Kotlin uh, for a long, long time ago. It was like three years ago. It was even before 1.0. I think it was like 0.11 or something. So I'm not sure actually how many people remember the time. But we started from here and uh, has been growing the code base further and further and we're actually extremely satisfied with that. Um, the interesting part is that we haven't actually observed any crashes related to Kotlin runtime uh, in any time. Uh, and uh, just, I think uh, the main uh, issues from our standpoint were actually related to tooling, just the developer experience. But uh, as we observe over years and years to come, I think uh, everything just becomes better and better. So we are extremely satisfied with Kotlin and there's nothing that would stop us from using it at this point. Um, one can ask just uh, why we started using it before the release. And the answer is uh, we had uh, a team member that actually had some experience with Kotlin from the early days. And he was impressed by the language and it's like composability, I guess because uh, it doesn't actually restrict you to bring your own, G your own virtual machine or anything. You, it just uses a GVM and it's not as huge as Scala or something. So we just started using it and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's um, I, I guess that's a valid point. So, and you had no, no issues in terms of putting it into production despite it not being a 1.0 or didn't you actually put it into production until it reached 1.0? Uh, I think we reached production before it was 1.0, but we haven't had any issues with that at all. Right. Would you say the tooling has improved? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the incremental compilation actually appeared in, I think, 1.1, but I might be wrong. Uh, so it was a major pain point at the time because uh, the Kotlin compiler is a bit slower than the Java compiler. I think it's just a matter of time that it catches up and basically it happens because it has uh, quite a complex syntax and uh, interesting abilities that require this kind of work. 
the only thing that I am not satisfied at this point is scuped, and this is a tool for annotation processing. It uh, kind of uh, breaks uh, incremental compilation from time to time. It uh, had a number of uh, bugs we've actually reported over years. So yeah, uh, other than that, yeah, it's it's been great. Yeah. So you know, actually, the the topic of capped doesn't come up much. Uh, can you tell users that aren't familiar with capped what exactly it is? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, capped is uh, an, a tool from the Kotlin tool chain that basically does annotation processing. Uh, in Java, it's called just apt, just annotation processing tool. Uh, and basically, it uh, works with various uh, annotation processing <laughs> tools. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just repeating myself. So uh, one example is using Dagger for dependency injection, which uh, takes your interfaces annotated with uh, special things uh, and constructs a dependency graph based on that. Uh, so basically, everything is done in compile time. Uh, Zantation processing is kind of interesting topic because it uh, kind of served, from my standpoint at least, for Java developers to optimize the developer experience. So basically, if you have some boilerplate code, you can uh, write an annotation processing that will generate this code for you. Uh, the downside is that it actually requires multiple steps to compile things. So basically, the first uh, step is just compile source code you have. Uh, analyze your annotations, and the second one is generate everything uh, that needs to be generated, and then it needs compiled. It needs to be compiled again, of course, so it all becomes use useful. Um, so yeah, the thing is uh, that Kotlin, of course, supports annotations, supports Java annotations, and of course, it requires a little bit of tinkering to make it work. So this way, the Capto was born. It actually, I think, has uh, three generations at this point, and we are using uh, Capt version three. Uh, but yeah, it was like a tough experience because it was rewritten a couple of times. Uh, I think there were some design choices that didn't fit, fit well at the time, but we we are when we are. What design choices would you say didn't fit? Uh, yeah, I'm not actually quite quite familiar with the story, Artem. Artem Senatolin told me it, it once. Uh, so basically, there are three, three generations because the first one and the second one uh, took approaches that were not actually quite efficient and error-prone. So the third one is kind of rethinking of these steps. Right. Okay, fair enough. And uh, so in addition to, to CAPT, one of the other things that, uh, of course, you've been using and I guess is somehow your involvement with uh, spec was actually spec, right? Which is the testing yep. framework. So, what were you using before spec in other projects? Because I, I, if I'm not mistaken, previously we just were chatting quickly, and you said that, or uh, or maybe you even said it on the recording that you essentially started this project from scratch using Kotlin, right? Yeah, um, correct. And, and when you started using Kotlin, did you also start using spec or were you using JUnit or something else? I'm not sure that spec was available at the time we started working on the project. Uh, so, and at first, uh, we tried to use JUnit, of course. Uh, and basically, we 
started to use these like uh, Gherkin style tests. Uh, so basically, we just com commented a bunch of code uh, uh, named like given this condition, then this should happen. So it was kind of artificial, if I may say. So basically, we're taking just gnit methods and trying to put somewhere that doesn't actually quite belong. And then I think we've switched to Groovy tests. Uh, I think it was Calabash, but I might be totally wrong because I'm not actually quite familiar with Groovy. And next, uh, I think the story was uh, that uh, our iOS team started to use uh, the Quick framework. It is a Swift library that uh, provides a way to write BDD style tests. So basically, you are free to choose the style from. Uh, it is e either Gherkin style, like given then, and the specification style that uh, that came from Airspec, uh, that's a Ruby library. And I think uh, someone from our team brought that up and started to search for BDD testing frameworks or libraries, uh, you name it. And we just found a spec and uh, started to using to use it. It I think it was a kind of pre-release build. Uh, and maybe we actually built it ourselves and put it in our artifactory storage. Uh, because uh, when we wanted to migrate to the upstream version of spec, uh, it was 1.1 something something. Uh, we went we weren't actually able to find this exact version that we had on our hands, so it was kind of funny. Yeah, I mean because you know spec I started, uh, I think it was in 2013 if I'm not mistaken, and you know Kotlin wasn't even released there. And it was quite volatile and it was hard keeping up with the versioning and all of the changes. So, yeah, I can completely imagine that that happens. Now, it's it's interesting because I always have this debate. Uh, you said you were looking for BDD frameworks and, and I went to great extremes. I remember on the first website that I had published for spec to say that this isn't uh BDD framework as such, because I mean, personally, I don't <laughs> think that such a thing even exists. I said that spec is spec is actually apparently um, bacon for in in Dutch. So if anything, BDD would be bacon driven development. Uh, but so but you know, you bring it up and, and you're not the only person that brings it up, right? Because many people bring it up. And, and I want to um, kind of uh, delve into two areas here. One of them is you know why? Why call it a BDD framework as such? I mean, what 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 were you, um, what were you missing with JUnit that you felt that Spec was filling the gaps, so to speak? Uh, well, as I thought, uh, we with JUnit we kind of created this style ourselves, ourselves, and the thing is with, with JUnit it doesn't support nesting. Uh, I think until JUnit five that was released quite recently. Uh, and with spec, we found out that it is actually very easy to nest tests, uh, just to use the same condition for multiple tests. And it makes a quite nice structure that actually uh, kind of correlates with our acceptance criteria we have on the project. So they, they describe this way and we are trying to mirror tests uh, to reflect that. Uh, sometimes uh, it is possible, sometimes it's not, because uh, when you're writing unit tests, it's not quite possible to describe everything from acceptance criteria. 
and uh, actually our iOS team uh, writes uh, integration tests for that and uses this the this the same style so it is quite nice so i think that was the winning point for us and uh, this like i don't know uh, this all uh, checks and uh, executions in spec are like quite atomic so you you're not forced to write a setup method for jnit and do anything in your test methods and try not to put multiple tests in the same test method because it's quite uh, cumbersome so uh, and inspect it is actually quite easy to achieve this without any consequences and it just reads well you know it just kind of all declarative style uh, testing scenarios description and it just fits the mindset not only for developer but for anyone else and actually we uh, we've asked our QA team just to re revise this test from time to time because they're quite readable and if you just run them you have a nice tree structure that uh, defines you all these scenarios that you have covered in this test yeah so i mean one of the reasons that i got into this was uh you know if you take a look at the j unit test right and let's say that you are writing a i don't know any any kind of test let's 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 even say a unit test that is checking that you can write a record to a database. Okay, as simple as that, mm -hmm. right? We're not even talking about acceptance tests or um, you know um, use case scenarios or anything like that. Well, that is a use case, but I'm I'm taking from like the user UI perspective. So uh, usually you come across the test names like uh, I don't know can insert record right or can insert data into I don't know, customer table. Uh, one of the lackings that I've, I always found there is that can insert record doesn't give enough insight into the condition on, under which it can insert a record. And it doesn't give you enough information about what the expected outcome is. Right. It says can insert record. So you would assume that, well, OK, sure, it can insert the record, meaning that it will it will not fail. But it doesn't actually tell you what is meant to happen when that record is inserted. Uh, so that's when I started to look into this whole thing of BDD, where, where I, I realized that, you know, this is about describing the, the, the behavior of, of different systems, whether it's the entire system, whether it's a component of the system. And that was the original idea borrowed heavily from JBehave and uh, other frameworks where you had this um, structure. So if people aren't familiar with spec, you have this given on it right where given is is giving you the context you know like the preconditions the on is the actual the action and the it is the assertion and i bring this up because i know that um, you know spec now has a different style also which is uh, describe it describe it and then you can have these embedded describes and i think that that's the style that uh you are using right is yeah, that correct yeah, yeah. yep so and, and I know that we, I think at some point we were having these discussions when we're dis discussing the 2.0 roadmap for spec. And, you know, 
What I found strange is that the original intention that I had with given on it, uh, you know, where as a, again, given being a series of preconditions on the action and it the assertion, this is not what a lot of people actually started to use that for, right? And, and then that's why some people started to switch to, over to this aliased way of doing describe it. Can you explain like where, where we didn't see things uh, in the same way uh, so yeah, you are correct. We are using describe, context, and it, and that's basically that's all we are using. So basically, this uh, error spec, uh, like description of the test. Um, the thing is, uh, I don't like about on is that it is not actually a group but an action. So you can execute your um, actions right here in the body of the on and uh, just do a check using it. So it, it works, uh, but uh, unfortunately we found out that uh, when we are extending the functionality or just add new features and add new things, we're just extending this uh, behavior. So basically if uh, a user clicks a button, then we are opening the screen. And the next time we need actually check that when user clicks a button that we sent an analytics event. And the thing that uh, the thing is that this analytics check comes uh, a bit uh, a bit later. So basically, come it's uh, in a day or two. And when we are using on, uh, it is uh, uh, I think it doesn't support uh, nesting. Uh, and uh, when we are actually needed nesting, uh, we are just forgetting about it and putting anything uh, in there and it doesn't work. So it is actually kind of an error prone for us. So we're just starting using only grouping and tests and that's all. So basically, maybe that's the difference. Yeah, I mean, the idea is that the, the action, the on is a single atomic action, so to speak, right? It's, I mean, that, that in turn can be part of an integration test or unit test, but you know, it, it is the one action the test is going to do. Uh, which then will give the results. So uh, I, I think from that perspective, it is logical that it it doesn't allow any kind of nesting of, of these tests. Um, but but fair enough. But my, my point is that one of the reasons that you switched, is it because when you looked at stars like JUnit or, or other testing frameworks, did it lack the context of the test? I mean, did it did it not provide you with enough information of what preconditions I have and what the actual results of the test should be? Was that one of the reasons that, that you switched? Um, so the thing is with JNIT is that it forces you to name the test methods some way and you already describe these behaviors in the test as well when you're doing like your own thing with comments or anything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it kind of brings this duality Yeah. as it doesn't actually quite work. So, and with spec, you can describe anything you want with the descriptions you want to use. And at the same time, it still remains atomic and composable. So it kind of brings, brought a lot of strengths. And uh, the thing is, uh, I've actually interviewed a developer that uh, quit the company a couple of days ago, and he said that the single best thing that happened <laughs> in our team is just switching to spec, because uh, it actually, and I experienced it myself when I was, 
when I came to Juno. So basically, I wanted to start writing tests. And with JNIT, uh, it is kind of discouraging you to write tests because it requires you quite a lot of body weight to do the exact same thing. And with packet, it's actually quite easy uh, and readable and just like, I don't know, human, is it? <laughs> the right word for well, this? yeah, I mean, the idea is that it's it gives you enough information, right, that you don't have to. Because, again, it goes back to the idea that, you know, if a test passes, doesn't mean that the implementation is correct. It just means that the assumed implementation is correct. So the only way for you to know if that if you got the idea right is to contrast that with something. And you say, well, the test name isn't sufficient, so let me go and put the comments in there to, to provide some more uh, information, right? And, and spec is about removing the need for those comments and, and having something that is human readable and understandable and gives you enough information about the, the specific action that you are testing. But there is a downside to spec as well, right, which we should mention, which is the, the tooling still sometimes causes problems, yeah? Uh, well, yeah, but uh, it uh, maybe it's more related to JNIT5 because uh, we switched to it at some point and uh, it wasn't quite ready for some IDs, uh, especially for Android Studio because it it is, it is based on IntelliJ IDEA, of course, but uh, the thing is that it syncs the IntelliJ code base uh, rarely, I think once a year. Uh, and to run JNIT5 tests properly, it required a new IntelliJ platform. So yeah, so our main issue was related to that, I think. Uh, but uh, JNIT5 provides a JNIT4 runner, but at the same time, it still doesn't work <laughs> every time. Uh, but uh, we've managed to deal with it at this point. And I have high hopes for the 2.0 version where things are kind of streamlined and Gradle supports JNIT5 and IntelliJ supports JNIT5 properly. So I think we'll be fine at this point. Yeah. Now, another thing that you mentioned that you had uh, adopted was Kotlin Gradle Script or Script Gradle Kotlin or... I. I I, honestly, Gradle, I don't know what they call it nowadays. Gradle Kotlin DSL. Gradle Kotlin name. DSL. Gradle yep. Kotlin DSL. Okay, that, yep. that actually now <laughs> makes sense. Uh, remember that the early days it was like Kotlin script Gradle or something like that. So yeah, Gradle Kotlin DSL. Uh, so are you a big Gradle fan? I mean, in general, do you like Gradle? Uh, well, <laughs> that's an interesting question. So the, basically the choice is, if the choice is between Maven and Gradle, I think I would pick Gradle. Well, you have Ant as well. I mean, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, Ant no. didn't happen. <laughs> Just forget about it. Okay. So because the, re the reason I ask you that is, uh, okay, so, you're, uh, so you want to say you're a massive fan of Gradle, but you prefer it over Maven, right? Now, when I first started to get into Gradle, one of the things that I really was struggling with was the overwhelming amount of documentation that you had to actually read to to look something up, right? And being a, a language that was a groovy that, you know, it wasn't giving you that much information when you were writing code, you weren't getting great completion, etc. I often ended up in situations where, you know, I was running the Gradle script and it was causing me pain. So along comes Kotlin, which is now giving you a static language, which allows you to write your scripts. 
uh, have you, having switched from Gradle uh, in Groovy to Gradle Kotlin, have you noticed any benefits in that sense? So yeah, we switched completely at some point. It uh, took quite amount of work uh, and I can describe why. So the thing is that um, there are a couple of issues uh, and I think there are two many main issues. The first one is that uh, I think nobody at Gradle actually imagined a number of years ago that it was possible to write a DSL not in Groovy. So that was kind of an, an idea. And when a year ago, Kotlin came up, uh, they switched their API to Java once. They were actually around for a while, but it wasn't preferred to Groovy. So basically plugin developers, Gradle plugin developers, uh, was were free to choose between uh, Groovy interfaces and Java interfaces. So basically if you have just a regular closure in uh, build file, it is either the Groovy closure or the Java action. It is a Gradle specific API. So the thing is uh, that with Kotlin, of course, Kotlin doesn't understand Groovy that much, uh, but at the same time works with Java real well. And this is kind of breaks compatibility a bit. So if you have a plugin that uses Groovy for external interfaces, you will have kind of a tough time with Kotlin DSL. They provide a number of helpers, but uh, sometimes it helps and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and the second one, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Groovy is a highly dynamic language. That was actually quite of the point of the language, I think, at some point. Uh, and Kotlin at the same time is a strict st static type language that provides you all the benefits mm, of this paradigm. So yeah, it, it doesn't quite work all the time and you have to deal with the documentation, yeah, as you mentioned, just to understand how Gradle works and uh, how plugin descriptions work, uh, how some uh, uh, APIs work like the extension, like the ext ls in Gradle just to deal it uh, from the Kotlin DSL. As for the benefits, uh, I am not sure that we had some performance improvements because I haven't observed anything bad related to Groovy from that same standpoint. But at the same time, uh, it brings the real programming language that developers use uh, on the project to build scripts. And uh, of course, it brings better understability. So basically, uh, regular developer can understand what the build script actually does because uh, uh, the one just writes a project using Kotlin and sees Kotlin in build scripts and kind of can understand how things actually work. And with Groovy, I found out that uh, sometimes people just try to guess how things work because uh, it provides this extensive DSL with a lot of uh, dynamic magic under the hood. And you're just trying and failing and trying and failing just to uh, not to understand how things work, but just uh, implement a specific thing you want to use. And with Kotlin actually forces you to understand how things work. And this comes with better, underst uh, with a better understanding uh, and uh, a better involvement uh, in just regular build script description. Okay, but the, the reason that I asked you this because, and this is this is what I'm trying to get at which is you know in my opinion gradle 
I'm not going to say it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not highly complex, but I would say that the complexity of Gradle is knowing the plugins, knowing the ecosystem, knowing the overall structure of how Gradle works. It's all of these things. So the question is having a static language as opposed to groovy, does it really provide you with that much value in terms of making it easier to adopt, uh, to use Gradle or not? Because, you know, for me, I, I still feel like the main pain point of Gradle isn't specifically the, the, the language itself. It is it is everything else. I don't know if, if that if 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 you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, and I would like you to say that it actually makes things better, but it doesn't. <laughs> um, because actually when we are tr we were trying to integrate it, we just stumbled upon uh, little hacks uh, and different side effects uh, and everything like that. So it was kind of challenging just to understand how things work because without it, you cannot adopt Kotlin DSL. Uh, because it kind of forces you to learn things. And uh, the second thing is that uh, it isn't actually quite adopted at this point because it's like a pre-release version. Uh, it doesn't matter that it ships with Gradle, but uh, not a lot of people actually use it. So uh, a lot of questions uh, I had, I had just to ask directly on the Kotlin Slack channel or, or just directly on GitHub because these areas are kind of narrow and not a lot of people use them. And something that work yeah, in Groovy don't uh, translate that well to Kotlin. Uh, and sometimes uh, I actually found some bugs. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, but uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you on that. Oh no, no, no! You're not disappointing me. I want the I want to know your real experience, right? And and that's my like, you know, a couple of weeks ago I had recorded this show about uh, someone that had moved from groovy to Kotlin and and using Spring as opposed to Grails and and I was trying to understand like you know because they were saying that Grails provided them with a much much higher efficiency, right? And there I was trying to understand whether it was that that efficiency was because of Grails and groovy the language or was it more around grails the framework uh, and unfortunately some people were somehow thinking that i was trying to you know lead towards kotlin being more productive than groovy which i'm not even going to comment on um, and here i'm actually trying to understand the same thing right which is does actually switching to kotlin provide you that much benefits over using Groovy for, for Gradle, because in my understanding, I, I'm not sure how much it would. Uh, so you're not disappointing me. I, I, in any case, I would say that you are kind of confirming what I was, uh, what I was kind of um, asking. So, but there is another question though. There, there's another build system, you know, you said it's either Maven or Gradle. What about Cobalt? Because Cobalt also exists and, and that's been released uh, for some time now, right? Uh, we haven't looked at it, and uh, I think we haven't because uh, uh, we develop an Android application, uh, and uh, the official way to use the Android tooling uh, from the build system perspective at this point is Gradle only. The, uh, Google have its own build system. It's called Bazel, I think, uh, but uh, it is kind of uh, it was internal for some time just in the company and when they're opening it uh, they haven't opened uh, everything i think because they want uh, to make a, a good public api 
and not some ad hoc solutions, I think. But I am just speculating at this point. But the thing is that it's not uh, official for Android and Gradle is. So we're kind of using it from this perspective. And uh, if I have used, if I would use Java project, I think I would like to look at it. But at this point, it just doesn't make sense. Yep, fair enough. Um, I I've I need to pay more attention to Cobalt myself, uh, especially that I don't do Android, so I don't have that excuse. But the fair fair point. Well, great. Um, so overall, are you happy with the with the choices um, that you've made, or would, do you have any like if you were to go back, would you do something differently? Uh, well, uh, I would say that. Uh we should have optimized build times a little bit earlier uh, and maybe remove the annotation processing behind because it was kind of uh, a very tiny layer of annotation processing that we barely used and it slowed down the build times for every developer we had and eventually we got rid of it but it took some time and i think uh, i would do that first so basically uh, the thing is that the language itself is great, um, but tooling uh, can be cruel at times, but it just, life is life, you know. Uh, and at the, same, at the same time, I'm just trying to tell anybody about this, that uh, Kotlin at this point is supported by JetBrains only, I think, and uh, a little bit by Google. So they provide some developer experience, and JetBrains isn't like a huge company like Intel or Red Hat that develop Java and uh, uh, many developers of the JVM work here. So I think it's just a matter of time when community pick up uh, these efforts and maybe a little bit more companies just take part in the development itself. I would like to take, a, to take part actually, but uh, I just don't have the capacity at this point uh, just to dig in and to come into the compiler itself. Well, I mean, it is completely open source, right? Uh, yeah, but sure. At the end of the day, we go back to the same thing, yeah? Because, you know, open source is fantastic, uh, but when it comes to contributing, not a lot of people do. A lot of people use it, but not a lot of people contribute. I mean, to look at Kotlin, look at uh, anything in the open source world. I mean, even look at spec, right? How many people do we have on the spec channel on the on slack what over nearly 400 if not more right how many people actually contribute back to the project very few you can count them with the fingers of one hand right yep. how many people demand things from the project quite a lot <laughs> right so you know this isn't about um this isn't about not wanting contributions uh it's just it's just that people don't Right. I mean, having said that, it's great that we have over, I think we have over 100 uh, external contributions to, to, I mean, external contributors to Kotlin. Uh, but the same goes for IntelliJ ID. IntelliJ ID is a completely open source platform, the core, right? Who are the biggest contributors to it? Ourselves and probably Google. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, open source is great, uh, but <laughs> not so much in terms of contributions. I just hope that actually some companies pick it up and just may may just hire someone just to work on Kotlin. But, but why do you feel that JetBrains isn't uh, um, doing a good job? 
Well, it does, uh, but uh, it's uh, nice to have an external perspective at some point and just to point at some pain points. Do you remember how we actually met? I may just made a talk about uh, all pain points we have with Scotland. Yep. <laughs> and, you, and you just emailed me and uh, do you want to work on Spect actually? Yep. <laughs> and not just give these talks. Yep. Um, it was actually pain points with Spect that you had. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but... And, and fair enough, like I, I understand that, you know, I mean, right now I think the Kotlin team is 50 people plus, right? Uh, so yeah, if if there are pain points that we're not solving, then we should be focusing on solving them. But I assume that we are, uh, but you know, as things, there's there's limited capacity, so. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and that's what I tell people that complain about Kotlin and just, oh, this compiler is just as slow as hell. And I just tell them, you, you just have a small team, like, it, it, it has like 30 to 50 people at this point. So, yeah, it's not like magic, you know, <laughs> you, yeah. you cannot just hire people and just make them work 24 hours a day. So overall, we are deeply satisfied with Scotland. And uh, I think in every future endeavor I may come, I will try to force people to move to it <laughs> at this point. Uh, so, yeah, everything is great related to that. Cool. Well, it's great also for you coming on the show and sharing your uh, thoughts on it. And uh, thank you for your contributions, uh, not only to spec, but also in terms of feedback and what you've been providing uh, to the Kotlin team, because I know that it's been valuable. So thanks for a nice words.